As we continue our study in the book of Luke, it's just amazing as we sang together about Christ and his glory and who he is. I hope that encouraged your heart and built you up. And we're going to be continuing to investigate that today. Change is happening. Changes are challenging. Um, we don't like changes. The older we get, I think it gets harder to change. The 12 disciples are now being given more responsibility than ever before to do God's kingdom work. Their faith is being stretched beyond, I think, what they imagined. And Jesus' ministry attention is changing as well. He's still going to be focusing on the crowds, and we're going to be looking at that today at, at the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle, and his concern for the crowds. But his focus, his attention, is now really going to be more and more on his disciples, those who are truly his followers. The disciples had been watching Jesus for many, many months now. And just as we looked at Luke, I think he placed those four miracles of chapter 8 for, for a reason. Remember, Jesus calmed the storm power over nature. He cast out a legion of demons, so he overpowered the greatest evil power there was in the world, so to speak, and, and he conquered it without any problem. He healed sicknesses. Remember the woman who had been uh, ill for 12 years. He raised the dead. His teaching and his actions revealed beyond a doubt that he is God and that he was speaking the truth when he said he was the Christ. If we see Jesus, we see God, and it reveals how merciful God is, how tender-hearted he is towards sinners, and how he came to save them. It proves Jesus' actions and what he taught, how he has the power to forgive sin, he has the power to heal, he has the power to transform people, he has the power to make us holy when we're unholy. It's amazing. So the 12 are moving on. Instead of just watching Jesus, kind of being there and watching him do stuff, now he's sending them out to do what he had done, to teach what he had taught about the kingdom of God, to, to heal the way he had healed, to cast out demons the way he had cast out demons. They were sent to proclaim the kingdom gospel, the good news that Jesus was the Christ, that God's kingdom was here and could be received. So today we're going to look at two tough assignments, and we're going to apply them to our lives. The first assignment was this for the disciples. Don't take anything, kind of go empty-handed and do my work. Just trust God as you go and do the work that I'm sending you to do. Go in pairs with few provisions and serve God. And the next tough assignment is, I want you to provide food in the middle of nowhere for 5,000 people. That's your assignment. Are you ready to accept it? <laughs> what, what is Jesus doing for these disciples? They're going to be doing his kingdom work when he's gone. So he's getting them ready. So their lessons are lessons for us because we're sent to, to do the exact same thing. Maybe not the exact same thing, and yet to be a presence in God's work for God's kingdom, to bring change, to help people with the gospel, and to meet their physical needs. So what Jesus is impressing on the 12, 
he's impressing on you and me this morning. So are you ready to go? Ministry changes. Number one point, changes. It says here in Luke that he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So we don't know where they were, but I have an idea that they were scattered. I don't think the disciples were together all the time when following Jesus. You know, they did have homes. They did have wives. They probably, some of them had children. So they would go back home at times, and maybe they were at home on home leave for a few minutes because they were going to be being sent out ahead of Jesus now and on, on a tour of duty. So God was, uh, let them go. He calls them back together to do the work of the ministry that he was sending them to do. So why are we gathered here today? To worship God, to know who Christ is. He's preparing us here together to be encouraged and empowered by the word of God and one another, by the Holy Spirit, as we praise and worship God and pray to him so we're ready to be sent out and tell people about Christ's sacrifice for their sins, for his salvation, to bring a taste of the kingdom of God here now so that people can know Christ through your godly manners. So it does matter how you speak and how you act. And when you mess it up, to ask for forgiveness and apologize and, and, and ask God to help you do better. So it does matter what we do and how we, how we speak to people and the compassion that we show. Like right here, just a little thing that shows compassion when we do it in the name of Christ. So they were given Jesus' power and authority because he's the only one that can do that. He's the source for fruitful ministry. And he sent them to do what he had been doing healing, casting out demons, preaching the gospel, the good news, concerned with soul and body. And again, I just bring us back, it's about Jesus, right? He's a connecting piece for all this. They didn't have any power or authority apart from him. Their ministry would have been a flop. It would have been maybe a, a, a quick rise and then a quick fall without the power and authority of Jesus being with them. So those were the changes that are going on. Instead of watching and being with Jesus, now they're out on their own. That's a big deal. And they were to travel light, sent with urgency in verses 3 through 6. It's kind of an interesting thing. And take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not take two shirts, <laughs> not even a, a carry-on <laughs> on the plane. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. And wherever you, whatever they do, if they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet. So there's an urgency here. They're packing really, really light. And that's Jesus' plans all along. To spread the gospel, what's the plan? Was Jesus going to do it all by himself? Well, he's God. He probably could, right? But that's not how God works. He works through transformed people of faith, people who believe in him. They're the ones to take it out. So there's multiplication. Jesus in his human body couldn't do it that way. So now he takes his people and they go and they scatter and they spread the news. And they were to do what God the Father had told Jesus to do. And now Jesus is telling them to do. Remember what Jesus his mission was, Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus' mission becomes your mission, my mission, their mission. The ministry that's concerned with soul and body. The miracles that they would perform authenticated their message, like our actions of mercy and integrity and authenticity and speaking the truth of the gospel well, firmly and gently, whatever the situation, that's what we're sent to do. They're traveling light. <laughs> Staying in one home. In other words, don't be looking for an upgrade. <laughs> you know, if, if they have better food over at this house, and a, a little nicer bedroom for you to sleep in. No, you just stay where they welcomed you and be a blessing there. And if they don't receive you, if it's not wanted, like the people where when Jesus cast out all the demons and the man and the garrisons, if they don't want you, then you just leave. That's a judgment. You move on with firmness and maybe with grace. The shaking of the dust doesn't make a lot of sense in our culture, but you move on. You don't stay there if they don't want you. So it was culturally acceptable for teachers like this to go out and depend on welcoming people to support them. Many of you have been involved with Great Faith Vision. Just raise your hands real quick if you've been a part of that. How many of you would like to be a part of that? <laughs> Thank you for your part in that. They have a great vision. Their, their model is so strategic. It's like this short-term going out, meeting people's physical needs with eyesight. But they team up with like, like our ministry and other ministries that are going to be there long-term. So they're the, they're the quick hit. They come in and, and do the POW ministry that, that kind of draws people in and, and connects them with friends and people and meets a need. And that's really welcoming. But then there's people that are left behind. That, that would be us who are to follow up and to serve and to continue to minister, and, and for those who are ready to, to build a relationship with so we can share the gospel and share friendship and share our table, meeting spiritual needs, emotional needs, and physical needs long-term. Advertisement. If you're a ministry leader or part of a ministry team here at Grace Chapel, it doesn't have to be just a Grace Chapel. It could be another good ministry outside these walls. But if you're part of a team, I would encourage you to read this book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. It's written by Robert E. Coleman, written in 1963, so that's a long time ago now, right? It is on Christianity Today's top 50 books that have influenced evangelicalism in the United States and around the world. He's still alive, by the way. He's in his 90s. This is a basic work that studies the life of Christ and how he built disciples. If you are in ministry or a part of a ministry team, I would encourage you to read this book and read it with somebody else and talk about what Jesus did. And, and parents, it's applicable for you. It's applicable for life together. The master plan of evangelism, because Jesus' method is people. 
going to other people to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to bring new people to faith and to teach them how to do ministry so that they can go out and make new disciples and show how to live, people how to live and to follow Christ well. Enough of the advertisement. The master plan of evangelism. We're seeing it unfold right before our eyes here in Luke chapter, in Luke's, Luke's gospel. So there's changes going on. There's changes in Jesus' ministry. His focus now is he's leaving Galilee and he's going to Jerusalem for the last time. April read those verses in, in, in chapter 9 about Herod. Now, if you want to read a more detailed uh, account of this, go to Mark chapter 6 later on today. Not right now, okay? <laughs> but read Mark chapter 9. Herod, Luke is asking us the question, or keeps this question before us. Who is Jesus? He never lets that question go away in his gospel. He's always seeking to answer that question to show us who Jesus is. So in this case, he uses Herod to keep that question, who is Jesus, before us. And Herod's asking this question, who is this guy that I'm hearing about? Is this John the Baptist raised from the dead? I cut off his head. He's dead. He, he, surely no one's risen from the dead. It's a prophet of old. Surely, who is this person I'm hearing about in all these miracles? He uses Herod to keep that question before us, who is Jesus? Herod's conscience, you can read about it in Mark, is bothering him because he knew he shouldn't have, he should have listened to John the Baptist who confronted him about his sin, but instead of that, he caved in, had him killed, got rid of him. His conscience was bothering him, but he ignored his conscience, what God was speaking to him, and he was forever lost. Remember the, the parable of the soils? Herod's heart was like that hard path that the seed, the good seed of God's word fell on and the birds came and snatched it away. The cares of this world, the thorns and the thistles snuffed out any belief that he might have. Luke brings up John's beheading just to remind us that John the Baptist, God's messenger, was opposed. That Jesus, God's son, the savior, the Messiah, is a being opposed. And to remind us, his followers, that we will be opposed too. Jesus is preparing his disciples for ministry when he's no longer there. You're going to notice in Luke that Jesus starts talking about the hardships of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus, that it's costly. Who is Jesus? We sang about it this morning. In Colossians chapter 1, we're reminded that he's the sovereign Lord. He's the preeminent one. He's the creator of all things. He's number one. He always was. He always is. He always will be. And because he's God Almighty, he knows what's coming for himself. He knows what lies ahead. The cross and the suffering for sin, being separated from his father. He knows about the resurrection. He knows about his ascension to glory. He knows what's ahead for his disciples. And he's preparing them for the joys and the hardships of following Jesus. And we get a short history in the book of Acts what it's like to follow Jesus, to be faithful to Jesus. Jesus knows what's ahead for you and for me. 
that should comfort you. He knows what's ahead for you, and if you're a follower of his, just remember this, that it's really joyful to follow Jesus. It's also very hard to follow Jesus. How can I be happy and sad? <laughs> it's not just for, for missionaries, the hard road. It's not just, you know, for us poor pastors. <laughs> it's for all of us. It's hard to follow Jesus. Serving others and telling the gospel can be costly at times. In the good old USA of America, Christianity overall has been welcomed here. It's not been that difficult to be a Christian throughout our history here because of the freedoms and, and, and what the liberties and, and the respect for all religions. So Christianity has always been fairly well received. But friendly opinions toward Jesus are not guaranteed just because it's been that way for 300 plus years where we live now, doesn't mean it's gonna stay that way in the years to come. Where does the church grow the most? When it's friendly or when it's hard? when it's hard. And that should make you gulp. That should make the hair stand up on your arms and the back of your neck, or a chill run up and down your spine. Because the church of Christ grows amazingly when there's persecution and opposition and hatred toward the name of Jesus Christ. And it makes me pause because I have to ask myself, how much do I truly love Jesus when it's difficult? If you're a follower of Jesus, then you're going to be serving others with God's gospel and mercy. And that's not always going to be fun. There's this hymn. Maybe you know it. Am I a soldier of the cross? It was written by Isaac Watts. He asked questions. I have four stanzas. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to, to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to lead me or help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by your word. Let's move on. So change is happening. And Jesus' ministry vision for his followers is listed now 
in the next uh, several verses. Would you read with me? Luke 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. So they'd been sent out, and now they come back. And we know from the other Gospels that they had great success. Great success, casting out demons and healing people. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him, and they welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and, and had them all sit down. And the, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he, that is Jesus, looked up to heaven and said bless, a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Jesus' ministry vision for his disciples. First of all, note the ministry pace. We don't have a lot of details here. Luke's account's pretty short. But we know the disciples just came back from this awesome ministry. They were tired, and Jesus said, let's get away. You guys need to rest. You guys need to recoup. So they, they get in the boats, and they sail away, but the crowds followed them. They didn't go too far away, we don't believe. The crowds were able to. They actually got there before they did in the boats. The crowds were waiting for them when they got off the boat. They're supposed to go away. This was supposed to be a retreat. They're supposed to get away and some rest, some R&R, whatever that means for you, golf, pickleball, couch sitting, watching, streaming, whatever. It didn't happen. The people were there. Matthew's account tells us that Jesus was filled with compassion. So he began to teach and to heal and minister to the crowds. And the disciples were a part of that. So they were tired. They needed rest. This miracle, by the way, is recorded the only one, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's really significant. Just in passing, rest is important. The disciples needed to get away. It's necessary when things are going well. We don't often rest when things are going well, but we need rest when things are going well because we need time to reflect, to self-inquire, to say, how's my heart? How's my attitude? Am I really in communion with God? Spiritual health checkup. Need to preach about that some other time. But what's amazing about this is because who is Jesus? God's power to provide matches his compassion. He's willing to receive people who don't really even aren't following Jesus for the right reason. Look at verse, uh, in John chapter 6, let me just read a few verses. And Jesus, the crowd came to Jesus and they said, how did you get here, Jesus? And Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. 
So the crowds are following Jesus for the wrong reasons, just getting a free handout, getting their fill. They needed food. Jesus was happy to feed them, but they weren't really seeing Jesus as the Savior, as God. So why did Jesus bother to do this miracle for most of the people who really didn't, weren't there or didn't care about who Jesus really was? Because Jesus wanted these people to get a taste of the kingdom of God. He wanted them to see that if they believed in him, that he was the bread of life, he was giving them an opportunity to entrust themselves and follow him with all their heart, soul, and mind. You know, what's true about this miracle just shows us Jesus is able not only to fulfill or to provide our physical needs, but to fulfill all our soul needs. There's a verse in Romans chapter 4. When God wants to do something, it gets done. Do you believe that? We should. Listen to verse 4. 17 of Romans 4, speaking about Abraham's faith, Abraham's belief. The God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. <laughs> Nothing, God speaks, and poof, it's there. So, Abraham believed that God would make a nation from his and Sarah's old, worn-out bodies. They hadn't had any kids, and now, you remember, right? Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90, and God made it happen because he said he would. So feeding the 5,000 from five loaves and two fish, Jesus has the power to do that. Then there's the intimidating command. You give them something to eat. eat. What was the disciples' plan? Send them away. <laughs> what was Jesus' plan? They all ate and were satisfied. He broke the bread, he gave thanks, he met their physical needs, and this was a picture of the future messianic banquet when Jesus comes back, the land flowing with milk and honey, no one's going to be empty, everyone's going to have enough, our cup is going to be overflowing. Hey, you won't even need to worry if your retirement money is going to last long enough if you live long. <laughs> no worries. It's taken care of. All good gifts come from God. He's establishing the new covenant in his broken body. He's the one that provides for us physically. He created the natural laws to make it all happen so we could have food and it grows. Breaking the bread is a picture of spiritual needs met in Christ. Through Jesus' broken body on the cross, he died for our sins. We're made holy, we're established, and we live forever. It's an impossible task for the disciples, but not for Jesus. He's the son of God. It's a picture of his coming kingdom. He's the king. He's worthy of our allegiance. He provides everything for life now and forever. But Jesus asked us and these disciples to do another impossible task. Do you know what it is? Matthew 
chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said to his disciples, and what were they to do with that authority? Go and make disciples in all the world. Impossible. Except Jesus gives us the power to do it. He's given us the Spirit of God. Jesus is doing his kingdom work of saving and providing through his people. That's how he works. So Jesus hasn't asked us to feed 5,000 people, thankfully. But he has asked us to love God, to love strangers and all our neighbors when we see a need and can help. He's commanded us to love our spouses, to submit to one another, to put others' needs first the way Jesus put my needs before himself. He's asked us to make disciples wherever we go. He's asked us to serve the bride of Christ so that God's people mature and grow and, and spread the good news. So if you're not a part of that, then you better check and make sure you're in step and really are following Christ. The impossible task for us can't happen without Jesus' power and authority, but he's the bread of life. It comes from Jesus' hands, and we get to distribute it. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. We were dead spiritually, and God's mercy has made us alive, our greatest need. And we have physical needs, too. And he promises to take care of us until we don't need them anymore when we're in his presence. Life lessons for us today. Jesus is God and totally trustworthy. Trust in his power and his promises to care for you. Apply his word as you live so you're doing his kingdom work where he has put you. And God provides what we need to do what he sent us to do. Crowds in the wilderness, point number three, then and now. What did the crowd want? Well, John tells us they wanted more bread, and Jesus said, but what you really need to do is to eat the bread of life. You need to believe that I am the Christ. That's the work God wants you to do, is to believe in me. That's John chapter 6, verse 25 through 29. So the crowds in the wilderness were poor. They were helpless. They needed food. And I love what J.C. Rowles, how he takes this and applies it centuries later, and we can apply it to our situation today. That crowd is a portrait of humanity everywhere. Think about that. That crowd, 5,000 men and then plus women and children, so it could have been up to 10,000 people there that Jesus fed that day with five loaves and two fish. That crowd is a portrait of humanity everywhere. Wicked, lost sinners with no power to make themselves holy. But Jesus, the compassionate teacher and savior, able and willing to rescue them from sin and provide for them not only eternally, but even in this world, he was ready to do it. Some of them only received the physical bread, but those who believed, they had to believe they would have the eternal bread. 
So it's a picture of what Jesus' salvation does for us. He is the bread of life. His word fills and satisfies our soul. And here's where it gets tricky. How can following Jesus lead to life? If I was a teenager, and I was once, I can hardly remember what it was like. I would ask myself, again, is following Jesus really the kind of life? Is it real life, the kind of life I want to live? How can, how can a humiliating death on the cross lead to new life? How does a humble admission of my sinfulness and weakness give me new life and enable me to live life to the full, filled up? How does dying to myself and serving others, putting them first, fulfill me? That's crazy, but not with Christ. Not when we believe in the one who provides for our needs, the one who saved us, died for our sins, lifted us up and made us his children and made us royalty, as we sang today. The disciples picked up leftovers. Everyone was satisfied. Belief in Jesus satisfies forever. Believe it this morning. Let it guide how you live this week. Your labor for Jesus, your suffering for Jesus, you're feeling a little outside of everyone else, the crowd. It's not in vain. Living for Jesus, worshiping him, serving God, is worth it. Have you entrusted your life and future to Jesus? Are you eating his bread, drinking his drink, working his work? I dare me, I dare you to be filled up with Jesus and dare to follow him a little bit more this week, to commit your ways to him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you to increase our faith. I ask you to help us to believe that you are Lord, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and also Savior, mediator, friend, the one who came to save us. You calm storms, you cast out demons, you heal the sick, you've raised the dead, you are God. And Lord, you've sent us, you've sent us with your power, with your authority to bring help, healing to our world. Take away our doubts, doubts, give us boldness, give us strength. Lord, today speak and lift us up for your honor and glory alone. You are the bread of life. Amen.